Hello and welcome to The Crux, the weekly women's agenda podcast sharing our top stories and conversations. On today's episode, we'll take a look at the International Women's Day theme that is really a bit of a weapon of mass destruction, Nicola Sturgeon's resignation and what it all means and how low can the media go on Brittany Higgins' privacy and more. I think pretty low. Also, finally, we'll finish with an interview with the very funny Michelle Brasher. Thank you for listening. This is episode three of The Crux, recorded on the 22nd of February, 2023. My name is Angela Priestley, and I'm joined by my co-founder, Tyler Lambert. Hello. How are you? Hello. I am good. So plenty to get to today, but first, let's start with your win from the past week. Well, I think my win this week really does have to go to Chelsea Handler because she made me laugh more than anyone has this year so far. It was the best takedown I have ever seen, I think. And she was responding to alt-right commentators, Ben Shapiro (laughs) and Fox News' Tucker Carlson, who had basically torn her apart for the entire week across various channels because of a segment that she ran around having this carefree life as someone who had chosen not to have children. And it was just so toxic the shit that they ended up saying about her and just really like misogyny doesn't even really begin to tell the tale of what those two were capable of and what other weirdo right-wing sociopaths they brought into the fold to also kind of back up their views but in true handler style she (laughs) ignored it for a time and then came out swinging in a this social media video that she put out where she basically just like told them that they were obviously like triggered by her, but then also laughed about them calling her a girl boss. And she was like, look, I'm not here to debate whether I'm a girl boss, but I have just recently looked at my bank account and I'd say that's pretty (laughs) girl boss. And I have just like thought about like my six New York Times bestselling books and I'd say that's pretty girl boss. Anyway, it was the best. I don't do it justice, but she is amazing. And she also had some very funny things to say about the two men in question, particularly hilarious when she was talking about Ben Shapiro being her perfect contraception. <laughs> so anyway, I think that everyone should jump on that and um, and give it a watch. But I thoroughly enjoyed it. So thank you, Chelsea Handler. I love Chelsea Handler. She's so funny. Her Instagram is so funny. I, just, I love the uh, day in the life of a child, like all the childless woman stuff that she does. It is so funny. Yeah. And <laughs> it's just true. <laughs> yeah, I do get triggered. I do get triggered. So possibly not in the style of those right wing uh, jocks, but uh, I'll keep watching and keep enjoying it. Please give us more. I get triggered <laughs> just in jealousy. That's what I mean. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so Ange, what is your win? this week. Okay, my win, a little bit of a different pace to yours. Uh, So it is Leah Weckert becoming the first female CEO of Coles. 
I might just ask the question, how does a major supermarket brand go 109 years without ever having a female CEO? But uh, that is how it is across these major organisations. And, you know, the fact that there is another female CEO, like it's pretty sad that we have to consider that a win, but that's kind of the state of things at the moment when you look at the ASX 200, where it's like we, we need to go back and crunch the numbers and we'll do that on women's agenda. But uh, we're looking at around, you know, 7% of the ASX 200 is led by a female CEO. So uh, pretty poor, but you know, we just got another one with Leah being appointed. She was promoted to the job and we wrote about her appointment yesterday, but there was a really great piece in the Australian Financial Review today that I think is worth a little bit of a mention. And it talks about her rise to the top and it goes on to say how the outgoing CEO basically describes Leah's rise as a case study in how to develop a CEO. Mm. And it's interesting in that way because it talks about the experience that she has, the broad mix of roles that she's had. And well, basically the outgoing CEO, Stephen Kane, says that it's been deliberate how they've gotten her to have this broad mix of CEO. She's had all these different sponsors. So it's a real case study in why sponsors works in an organization. And she's been kind of intentionally moved around different parts of the business to get that broad experience. And as the outgoing CEO, Stephen Kane said, well, that also gives investors a little bit more assurance, especially that they can see that somebody's had this experience in all these different units. So that's my win. Another, you know, woman leading a massive organization and also that aspect of the win that shows that there are ways that we can make sure that women do get these promotions and a real positive and case study and the benefits of sponsorship there as well. Yeah, that's an awesome one. I might even forgive Coles for forgetting to bring my bananas this week. Oh, that's serious. <laughs> that's, that's terrible. It's very first world problems, isn't it? Anyway. <laughs> So we are a couple of weeks out from International Women's Day and as happens every year, we start getting inundated by press releases, some of them relevant, some of them not so relevant. Well, if, if there's a woman like who is a woman. There might be a woman. There is a woman who's a woman, <laughs> therefore there is an angle. So at the risk of sounding incredibly cynical, which I always am, so, you know, take it with a grain of salt, um, we have been getting a lot of pictures, Ange, and we can't help but note the lovely corporate slogan that's coming into place, embrace equity. Mm. It's beautiful. It's meaningful. Good alliteration. Yeah, look, sure. That's about all I can say for it. And I have so many things I can say. I know you've got a lot to say. I know. So <laughs> so last year we had Break the Bias. We've had Press for Progress. Uh, we've had various other little bits of words being placed together to create something uh, meaningless and I argue are uh, quite potentially even deliberate weapon of mass distraction. And that's what I described it as last year around this time. Actually, I think it was actually a couple of days after International Women's Day. But first of all, let's put out there what UN Women Australia's International Women's Day theme for 2023 is. It is cracking the code, innovation for a gender equal future. Basically, UN women are going with the push around innovation and technology for gender equality and wanting us all to have a little think about that, which is quite timely this year, I would say, particularly with what we've seen being developed in AI. And yet, if you Google International Women's Day, 
you get something quite different, uh, internationalwomensday.com website, which looks very official and it has that very official looking IWD logo, which I guarantee you've seen at various events or across corporate material or in photos or whatever. And that's where you get the embrace equity Mm. hashtag slogan mantra. What the hell? What what does it mean? I, I, I don't know. Who knows? I know. It's so hollow. Why do they always have to be so hollow as well? I just, I don't know who is behind the, (laughs) it just, yeah, it always baffles me. Well, that's the thing. We don't know who is behind it because if you go to the website, I've been like, and I did this last year, I've been doing it again this year. I was like, oh, maybe given, you know, there are a few people writing about, you know, where does this come from? Why does this get this corporate takeover? Why do we all kind of fall for this? Why are we doing these stupid hand movements and things? And this year it is about like (laughs) cuddling yourself, which is uh, resulting in even equally stupid photos that are being sent to us that people want to have published of themselves. I'm like, why are you doing this? It's, um, you know, first of all, that this page was, outranking the UN women page on Google last year. I think that's actually changed this year, so that's a positive. But um, I've gone through all the links and where the only place I can kind of start to get a feel for who is actually behind this is when I go to the privacy page and clearly you can see they've legally got to put some, you know, various privacy-related information under European laws, I assume. And then at the end of that, you kind of get to a contact and there is something called Aurora Ventures and you can Google Aurora Ventures and you can learn more. You won't get any names or anything behind Aurora Ventures unless you go a little bit further, but uh, you'll find that it is a business that specializes in marketing for equality. Mm, That's not icky at all. Can I tell you something even ickier? Like this (laughs) is so icky. I dare you not to. I had a little look at the corporate partners of the IWD page, as in the non-official one. But, you know, this is the purple branding. This is the branding that you've seen. I've had a look at the, the partners there. I've noticed that some of the partners that were there last year are no longer there, and I think that's a good sign that I think that maybe they're like, oh, you know, maybe we might try and align with the UN women or maybe we'll do our own thing. But there's a few uh, weapons manufacturers on there. Oh, good. Yeah. That's what we want. But- that's exactly what's gonna actually like you know propel gender equality a few more weapons being made well yeah so there's um northrop grumman you know this is an employer of tens of thousands of people around the world i probably should know more about it but maybe we don't spend much time kind of digging around the employment practices and gender equality of weapons manufacturers but what they do is they specialize in innovating low-cost highly reliable and precise weapons and ammunition for artillery and mortar systems hmm I mean, it's a good year for partnering with a manufacturer of hypersonic and strike uh, missiles. So, you know, why? Low cost. Low cost. Yeah, inflation. Got to get around (laughs) that. So anyway, yeah, I just want to put that out there. Let's have a think about that. Like you don't need to be doing that embrace equity, hug yourself thing. You don't need to use that as a hashtag. I know it makes it easier when you put up a post that you can just say that and then you don't actually have to say anything else. And I think that that's where the distraction comes from because last year, where I originally started writing about this was looking at how it was distracting from the UN women theme around climate change and how convenient for these corporate partners to not want to talk about climate change or for many politicians to not want to talk about climate change. So it was, I argued, a distraction and I would argue again, it's a distraction. And I just encourage people to have think about questions about why they're doing this, where this theme comes from, and if they might be able to align a little bit better with the theme around innovation instead. Yeah, I think just bringing back the meaning to International Women's Day, you know, like I'm definitely of the view that we should be celebrating women every day, but at the same time, that day has merit if we do it properly and if we look at the issues that are actually 
yeah. impacting women globally. Yeah. And you see that from their website as well. I'm kind of looking, I was like, where's the mention of what's happening in Ukraine? Where's the mention of women in Afghanistan? Like, why not put something about the earthquake and how women and children are faring since that? And, you know, it, it's just, oh, anyway. Other things, I could move to Scotland's First Minister, Nicola Sturgeon has announced she will resign after eight years in the role, saying she is a human being and that she believes now is the right time to make way for somebody else to take the lead. Sturgeon said Scotland deserved nothing less than a first minister who was able to give absolutely everything to the job and said it's the only way to do it. Her resignation follows Jacinda Ardern resigning from the leadership of the Labor Party in New Zealand and therefore the Prime Ministership, so that was just in January. Jacinda Ardern also said that she, well, basically said she doesn't have enough in the tank left and there were definitely echoes I felt between those two speeches. Mm. Nicola Sturgeon has left a really impressive legacy, has done a lot for Scotland and for progressive causes. What do you make of all of it, Tyler, and, and what she did for Scotland? Oh, look, it's certainly not uplifting thinking about Nicola Sturgeon resigning and especially in the wake of Jacinda Ardern resigning and Angela Merkel, you know, leaving as well. Mm -hmm. But I do think that it's uplifting to think about what she brought to that role over eight years and the conviction and ideology that she had. And she really did give it her all, you know, like her or hate her or whatever. She was there as a leader of principle who was acting on a number of different issues, you know, gender equality and climate and Scottish independence. There were so many things that were so central to what she believed in and what she fought for. I also do want to note her speech because, I mean, it's not surprising that it's come from Jacinda Ardern first and now Sturgeon. I do think that these are almost like lessons in how to lead but also to leave leadership gracefully and in the right way. And I think there's a lot that can be taken away from that from, well, hopefully by other leaders. Only time will tell there. But I think it's a really courageous thing to note that, you know, you've given it everything and to keep mm. going after that point would only be doing a disservice to your country. It would be do doing a disservice to you as a leader and for your legacy. But it takes it takes a really big person to be able to note that. So mm. I thought that her, her speech was really admirable. Yeah, I agree. I just thought it was a great speech. I thought that knowing when it's time to leave, I just imagine how very different history would be uh, <laughs> if other people knew when it was time you to leave. Tony Abbott knows when to leave. <laughs> <laughs> Malcolm oh. Turnbull, Scott Morrison. They don't know when to leave. Think internationally as well. I mean, Putin just there. <laughs> Like people have been in power for decades and go about changing laws and things to ensure that their reign can continue. It's just very, very sort of different approach. Eight years is actually quite a long time. So um, a great run for Scottish independence. It'll be interesting to see who takes over that, where that fight goes now. Um, obviously, as you mentioned, the first woman to serve as first minister of Scotland. She had a lot of time and criticism for Boris Johnson during the pandemic, which was rightly uh, done. So yeah, we see what what happens next. And can we move quickly on to the bullshit that Brittany Higgins is being put through? Because I think it's really important to have a quick chat about this this week because what is the media in Australia thinking 
The Australian published the confidential contents of Higgins' diary this week for anyone who didn't see the story. We had other media commentators and shock jocks talking about the compensation she received. We had the Daily Mail, Daily Fail, publishing pictures of Britney with suggestive headlines on the day the contents of her personal diary were leaked. This diary was apparently given to the police to aid their investigation at the time and who knows what went on there that that's fallen through the cracks and you know, also linked up very nicely with a very glowing piece on Linda Reynolds as well. I just don't even know what is going on and where the transparency or the accountability is with media at the moment. And surely Brittany Higgins has just gone through enough at this point. Yeah, I'm a little bit lost on what to say about this as well because my first questions, as I think everyone's question would be, is that how did the Australian get that photograph? How has that ended up with the journalists? Why has that happened? What's going on in terms of this evidence being provided to the police? Why is it now in the media? Um, kind of now at the, the point of the public interest. I mean, the trial has been aborted. It's not going to go ahead now. It's happened. And here we are sort of trying to prosecute more of the case on the front page of a national newspaper. prosecute her, you know, like it's just disgusting. And of somebody whose mental health has been, like we all know that her well-being has been seriously compromised. That was part of what was behind, you know, the decision not to go ahead with the trial. I mean, how much further does this need to go like what is the public interest in this I I just don't understand well Higgins has said that she is going to seek legal counsel now and I think she should absolutely do that because I cannot see for the life of me how they have been lawful in their conduct here and it is just getting to the point where it's pretty sick like it's pretty twisted what they're doing to her and I believe she does deserve serious compensation for what she's being put through. It's ridiculous that this is where we're at. We can say it's getting ridiculous, but it sort of hits so many lows. It can only, you'd hope, go up from here. But just to see a little bit more accountability and a bit more why, and I, that that's where I'm just getting lost. I just don't understand the why behind this. So. Um, wow. Okay. I'm trying to find a way to make a nice pivot to this one, but um, we do want to get to the interview. So Tyler, I will let you introduce your interview. Yeah. Look onto something a little lighter and Michelle Brazier is, well, I mean, in fairness, she's someone who is very adept at making very sad things very funny. And her last two shows were critically acclaimed and her next show, Legacy, is out this year and she will be taking the Australian comedy circuit by storm. And if anyone isn't familiar with who she is, it's now time to get acquainted because you will do very soon. But let's jump to that interview now. It's really lovely to meet you and and thanks so much for being on. I... I'm interested about your pathway into comedy. Was there a key point in which you kind of just made the call that this is for me? I don't really know if there was a key point. I don't even know if this is the thing that for me. I mean, comedy specifically, I really love. I've always loved it. I grew up sitting 
in front of the TV watching the Comedy Channel as a kid and I taped every single Melbourne Comedy Festival gala, every Just for Laughs Montreal special they had and watched it over and over again. I could do everyone's routines. But I just, I guess I was always a, I was always going to tell stories. I was always going to be an actor. I was always going to be a singer. Mm. And then I think just watching so much comedy, I ended up being funny. So I found my way into this world, I suppose. I do love the integration of the singing into the comedy, though. I think that is just such pure gold and you've got such a beautiful voice. Thank you. Um, We had Sarah Pascoe on the pod a couple of weeks ago Mm -hmm. and she was talking about the amazing female comedic talent in Britain um, but also in Australia and I completely agree. I think in recent times especially we've seen a real surge here with young female comedians like yourself, like Kirsty Wiebeck, Celia Piccola, Becky Lucas, just to name a few. What do you think has driven this? Obviously not uh, in Australia, I think that there have always been amazing female comedians of any age, but I do think that there's kind of a real evolution, I guess, in, in how stories are being told and how comedy is coming to life here. I think people are just starting to realise that women are a major audience, you know, like women are the primary consumers of so many art forms and so they can listen to their own stories. And I think people started taking chances and telling stories that were for women, about women, by women, and then people liked that. And so we just keep doing it. But I think ultimately really in Australia we have a really supportive comedy scene. I've found it really supportive from day one for other women to just come and lift me up. You know, I would say Cal Wilson is one of the most supportive and incredible women, but also the guys as well. Like no matter what gender, I think it's a very supportive industry and everyone really wants it to be fair and wants it to be representative so people sort of do their best I think generally it's full of mostly good people which I think is rare for an industry and of course like there's you know there's not everyone's perfect but I think we do pretty good maybe that's because you guys know exactly how challenging it is to take this career pathway yeah I think Everyone knows that you're ultimately going to come up against somebody at the end of a set, usually a man, but sometimes a woman who will come up to you and say, oh, I really liked your set. I don't usually like female comedians. And it's like, why are you gendering comedians? It just, it just feels silly. I think, you know, it can be, it can be difficult, but in my experience, it's been nothing but supportive. And do you think that that will ultimately change altogether? I think it will. I think things are relaxing and sort of evening out a little bit more now. It's hard. You know, TikTok is an interesting platform. We're living in a world with Andrew Tate, so I don't know what's going to happen. But I think for the most part, people respect women. People like listening to women. And as long as other women keep championing women and as long as men join in, I think we'll be fine. I don't think it's going to be an issue that the future generations have to deal with. I honestly think the people who are coming through now who are female or non-binary aren't dealing with the resistance that maybe I dealt with and I didn't really deal with much resistance either. You know, I think it's hmm. getting a lot easier. Yeah. Your tour in 2021, Average Bear, was a deeply personal show and it explored your experience living with a hereditary illness. It was incredibly raw and honest, as I kind of mentioned, but What was your ultimate goal in sharing that part of your life so publicly? I just wanted people to laugh. I just want to encourage people to be able to laugh at the dark things in life because I think if you don't, they have so much power over you. And for people who are going through grief or people who'd been diagnosed with cancer or people who are literally dying, 
they deserve a laugh. Like it must be so exhausting all the time to just move around the world and have people just always just pitying you. It's exhausting. You deserve a laugh, especially if you're running out of time. You deserve to have a laugh, to have a place where you can go, it is funny, this bit is funny and this thing is funny and funerals can be funny. There is joy in dark times of our lives. It's not just, you know, happiness or sadness. It's There are moments of, of joy in everything. And so I think I just wanted to make people feel less alone. Mm. And what's the feedback been from that show? Oh my God, it's stunning. It's so nice. I love talking to the people. I After every show, I stick around and I talk to everyone about their own stories and people have the most incredible stories and they're so generous and they bring back, you know, like their grieving mother or their friend who's just been diagnosed with a terminal illness. And it's so special. And it really, I think it clarified for me as well that I was wrong to be afraid that it was self-indulgent because it's not about me. It's about everyone's story, really. It's just a matter of time. Yeah, absolutely. In a change of pace, though, in 2022, your show <laughs> reform was about being scammed on Facebook by yes. a man who you went to to buy a Pilates reformer and then you ultimately befriend. I find this story so amazing, by the way, um, <laughs> that you ultimately befriended him yeah. and almost counselled him through his gambling addiction. Literally counselled him, yeah. Just talk me through this a little bit and how you managed to stay so insanely human throughout that period. <laughs> um, I mean, I had a lot of time. It was during lockdown, <laughs> so I was quite patient. I don't know. I think I'm, I'm a big believer in assuming the best of everyone and that includes people who are probably not best, the best people. I think if someone yells at you, if you can assume they're having a bad day, you're going to move through the world in a happier way. So it kind of came from that philosophy. And then I was just really interested in him and interested in how he'd ended up doing this because he wasn't very good at scamming, you know, <laughs> like it, it was, it would have been so easy. I could have taken him to the police. I had all of his details. I had his license. I still have it. Yeah. It's just interesting to me. How do you get so desperate that you're going yeah. to be caught but you need this so badly. And I think if I was somebody who needed something so badly that I would, wasn't even worried about getting caught, like how did I get to that place? Mm. I just think it's really interesting. And I, I think that's more interesting than just calling the police and have them deal with it and having him punished for whatever. I just think talking to him and trying to understand him was fascinating. And, you know, he made me laugh too. He was kind of funny sometimes. I mean, it's an interesting point in a way that, you know, we've talked a lot about empathy for good leadership, but maybe it's empathy for good comedy as well. For everything. Yeah. I mean, everything is a story, but you get to frame it. I get to go, oh, I got scammed by this guy and it was so annoying and I didn't, you know, this, this and this happened to me. Or I get to go, I got scammed by this guy and I got to know him and this is his name and this is where his parents live and this is all his friends that I spoke to and here's all these other women that he'd scammed and it was specifically women and here's how they were similar to me and here's what made us, you know, good victims for him and mm. I learnt and I got a story and I made a good show out of it and, I, you know, I made a bunch of money from it in the end. So I exploited him just as much as he exploited me, which is interesting and difficult to unpack but... <laughs> You know, it's good. I think it's I think it's good to be interested. You know, David Sedaris. Yeah. I love his philosophy of life, like just the way he moves through the world. And he's always asking people questions, and just always looking for stories above all else. And I think that's really inspiring and really cool. Yeah. Storytelling and also honesty. Do you think that honesty is key to good comedy? I think 
It can be. I think specifics are the key to good comedy. Specific mm-hmm. details are good. But if it's funnier to say those specific details happened on day three rather than on day two, mm. say it happened on day three. Storytelling is an art form and it's a craft and writing is not just recording. Yeah, that's a very good point. Yeah. What comedians past or present inspire you the most? Ooh, Olivia Coleman. I mean, she's not really a comedian, but neither am I at the end of the day. I look at more at character actors and people who've done a lot of sketch comedy and then a lot of TV acting, which is kind of the stuff that I mostly do apart from my live shows. And yeah, I would say like Olivia Coleman, Jennifer Coolidge, Catherine Hahn. There are a lot of really incredible women out there. Did you love Jennifer Coolidge's uh, recent awards acceptance speech then? Yeah, it was fantastic. I'm loving this like renaissance of her there's like we're interested in interesting women now which is so fantastic you know Natasha Leone, like just this really caring about women who are not necessarily 20 years old or you know look a certain way I think it's mm-hmm. really fantastic yeah yeah 100 percent. what's next on the cards for you my new show well actually in two days I'm going to London to do Average Bearer at the Soho Theatre which is incredible and in a few weeks, I've got a new TV show coming out, which is called We Interrupt This Broadcast, um, which is so exciting. It's on Channel 7. It's a sketch show, you know, first sketch show they've had in a long time. So the pressure is absolutely on. And I will say on the record, we did not know there was going to be a laugh track. <laughs> um, but at least the laughs were recorded live. So I'm semi-okay with it because it's a real audience. Anyway, I'm having some trouble with the laugh track. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> we're all, the, the cast is all just like, wait, what? <laughs> we just didn't know. But that's okay. These things happen. Uh, but I think the show is still going to be really great. I really love the show. every money sitcom if it's. Well, I think places. that's the thing. I think they're trying to hark back to that period of our lives, you know, full frontal, fast forward, that period of time. And I get it. I totally get it. So maybe I'm wrong, but you know, it's just weird for me because I'm I'm young and I haven't seen much with a laugh track for a while. But yeah, those <laughs> are happening. And then my new show at Comedy Festival um, and touring Australia. So it's very very busy. Yeah. Yeah, I guess it's a a bit of a sharp contrast to those years in a pandemic recently. Yes, Um, yeah, yeah. all or nothing, baby. It's got to (laughs) be. It's quite mad, yeah. I mean, uh, I was lucky enough to work through the pandemic a little bit. Like I had a few TV shows. I I was on Mad as Hell and we kept shooting for um, a season, which was really spectacular. We had these like special letters from the government saying we're going to do this thing and you know we were all socially distant it was so take strange. everything but don't take McAuliffe yeah yeah <laughs> so that was very strange um a strange time but uh, I also spent a lot of time watching Buffy in a bathtub and when I say bathtub it wasn't a bathtub it was a plastic biggest tub I could find at Bunnings that would fit in my shower but we live and we learn <laughs> <laughs> well I suspect there won't be too much Buffy in a bathtub for you coming up where can people uh get tickets you can get tickets if you just go to michellebrazier.com forward slash tour, you can find them. Or if you literally just Google my name and whatever city you're in, it'll come up. You'll find it. I'm coming to Canberra and Gold Coast, Melbourne, Brisbane, Sydney, ooh, London. There's probably more that I've forgotten, but you can just, I'll be shouting about it. Follow me on Instagram. I'll be screaming it from the rooftops. I don't think you're going to need to shout too loud, to be fair. Um, Michelle Brazier, it's been lovely talking to you. Thanks so much for making the podcast today. Thank you so much. I appreciate it.
All right. Well, thank you to Michelle for that interview. And we'll be sharing more on her upcoming shows in the show notes. To close us out, Tyler, uh, we do like to finish with what is on our minds or perhaps what is on the agenda over the next few days. So what's on your mind? Oh, I'd like to say there's a lot on my mind, but <laughs> to be honest, I have an eight-month-old that doesn't sleep. So my brain is quite mushy at the moment, Ange. But I will say that today we are publishing a couple of pieces that are really interesting and so you should jump on the website. One piece in particular is around Kathleen Folbig and the new evidence given in court by Dr. Monique Ryan about one of the deaths of her children, Patrick, and her belief that the likely cause of his death was from natural causes. I do think that this is a case that um, really grips our readers and there are a lot of people with really deep thoughts and, and feelings on this case and we would love to kind of get deeper into it as well at some point this year. So check out that material and we'll kind of keep an eye on that case as it moves along. Uh, yeah, and just to be clear, so that's Dr Monique Ryan who is the federal uh, independent MP, who also happens to be a paediatric neurologist. So she was giving that evidence. Also known there. as the crumpler of Josh Frydenberg. <laughs> That's right, the crumpler. The crumpler. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anyway, go check out that story. So on my mind this week, a little bit generic, but we have written a little bit about chat GPT on women's agenda. We've shared a few things, particularly around diversity and particularly around who is behind it, uh, their breakdown of tech roles in the company and leadership and things like that. So I guess on my mind regarding this is, and it might go back to the UN women's theme around innovation, but just the broader implication of, of for jobs, particularly how it will impact, you know, how these new kind of really big push into AI, like it just seems to have come so quickly and so much has changed already in the last few months with ChatGPT, which I, I do think is a great tool and I use it myself and I think more of us should be using it and there's there's lots of great things to come from that. We're also seeing Google's competitor. So there's going to be, you know, this stuff isn't going away, so we kind of need to find a way of to how we're going to work with it and how we're going to try to pick up around things around plagiarism, what's going on in schools, universities, all of that. But um, I guess on my mind and what I hope to explore more for us and women's agenda is to think about the broader uh, implications for women around women in STEM, making sure that women in STEM are getting great roles in AI and making sure that there's a lot of diversity in the development that is occurring. Because as we know that if you don't have diversity in those who are writing the code, then we're basically embedding a lack of diversity and therefore possibly bias as well in the ultimate tools later on. So that's on my mind. I'm thinking about it. That's all. Thank you for listening to The Crux, the Women's Agenda weekly podcast. You can check out all the stories that we've discussed and more on our website, womensagenda.com.au, where you can also sign up for our daily newsletter, which comes out just before lunch. The Crux is produced by Agenda Media, the publisher of Women's Agenda, and made possible thanks to our excellent producer, Alison Ho. Thank you for listening.